The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with tech stocks looking for a rebound today after Tuesday's snap-induced sell-off. Futures, however, they are higher. And retail getting a bump in the pre-market this morning on some upbeat results from Nordstrom. We're going to bring you the very latest. Plus, some trouble for Tim Cook and company. New reports that Apple's next iPhone model is facing some serious development delays. We're going to explain why, and we're also going to say development way better the next time. Plus, Nelson Peltz, he's at it again, this time targeting a fast food giant that is sending one stock soaring. And later, a closer look at Wall Street's fear factor and what investors are saying about the recent sell-off. It is Wednesday, May 25th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. Happy Wednesday. I'm Frank Collin. Brian Sullivan, he is on assignment this morning. We will have the very latest on that mass shooting at a Texas elementary school that's left 19 children and two adults killed. The gunman also killed. But first, let's kick off our hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Stock futures very slightly in the green now, fractionally higher at this point. Actually, Dow Jones appears to be slightly lower. Just a minute ago, it was higher, but pretty much flat this morning. We're looking at the Dow potentially popping down very slightly. This after a mixed day on Wall Street yesterday that saw some outside selling in tech, taking the Nasdaq down more than 2% on the day. Investors looking squarely at Snap in the Internet ad space. Um, leading the, uh, as the latest leading indicator, a possible leading indicator for a possible recession. Shares looking for a slight rebound this morning after a big decline yesterday, down more than 20% yesterday. You see up more than a half percent right now. Some pretty wild moves in treasuries as well, with the 10-year now trading well below 2.8%. Right now at 2.745, again, well below that 2.8 mark, even well below that 3% yield mark. And also in the crude market right now, we're looking at oil still right around $110 a barrel right now. We're seeing crude right at 110, uh, excuse me, crude at 114, WTI just about at 111, both of them up about a percent right now. And we're also seeing some movement in Bitcoin and Ether up this morning. But you have to remember, Bitcoin's still below that 30,000 mark that so many people say is a crucial level for the cryptocurrency. All right, let's get a check on the global market picture. Our Sherry Kang is in Hong Kong with the overnight action in Asia. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with the early trade in Europe. Sherry, good morning. Let's begin with you. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, everybody. So we did see a higher but cautious session playing out in Asia. The reality is the central banks around the world going for rate hikes to fight inflation. New Zealand central bank was one of them this morning and surprised the market with a hawkish guidance. The Bank of Korea is actually on on calendar tomorrow as well. We saw both Kiwi dollar as well as the Korean one gaining, firming against the U.S. dollar. And of course, the geopolitical factor to note North Korea's missiles being one of them. Zooming into the Chinese markets, we did see a bit of a rally in late session, small gains coming through, trying for a rebound from their worst session 
in close to three weeks at yesterday. However, growth worries are still hanging over investors' minds. And uh, remember, global banks have been cutting their growth outlook for China due to COVID lockdown effects. However, today, what was in uh, traders as well as investors' minds? Yet another pledge coming through for economic uh, support, this time around for property and infrastructure. And here in Hong Kong, Alibaba shares closed down 1.5% ahead of its earnings report later on today. Frank? All right, thanks a lot, Sherry. Now to the early trade in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum's in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, it's been a pretty strong start to the trading session, uh, gaining some ground from yesterday when the stock 600 fell about 1.1%. So it was a down day yesterday. Um, and that relatively resilient sentiment in Asia seems to be filtering through to the European session today. In terms of the sectors this morning, we are seeing outperformance in basic resources as well as utilities. Utilities was one of the key underperformers yesterday. So we're seeing um, investors put money back into some of those names and reversing the uh, moves that we saw yesterday. On the downside, we are seeing some selling pressure in travel and leisure and also technology. So it seems as though that uh, outsized sell-off that you saw in the Nasdaq yesterday is having some impact on technology names here. So that's the picture here in Europe. Things are uh, steady as they go so far today. Frank, back over to you. Juliana, thank you for the very latest. All right, now let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, shares of Wendy's surging in the pre-market. And this after a new filing revealed its largest shareholder, hedge fund Tryon Partners, is exploring a potential deal with the fast food giant. Tryon, along with Partners, owns a 19.4% stake in the company and says a deal to, quote, enhance shareholder value could include a major acquisition or a merger. The CEO of Stellantis is out with a new industry warning, speaking to media after announcing a new $2.5 billion EV battery plant in Indiana. Carlos Tavares says he expects shortages of the batteries and raw materials needed to make electric vehicles in the coming years, shortages that will slow availability and EV adoption well into the year 2028. Stellantis is the world's fourth largest car maker and was formed by the merger of Fiat Chrysler and France-based group PSA last year. And ride-hailing company Lyft says it will slow hiring and look at budget cuts in some departments in an effort to rein in cost. The company says no employee layoffs are planned and adds it will grant special stock options to eligible employees as an incentive. Shares of Lyft, Frank, are down more than 60 percent this year. So lots, lots to keep an eye on there. <laughs> yeah, just so much disruption yeah. in the rideshare space. Silvana, thank you for those headlines. You Appreciate it. it. All right, let's turn ourselves back to the broader markets and talk a little tech after yesterday's sector sell-off. Thanks to Snap sounding the alarm over, quote, a deteriorating macro environment. Joining me now is CIC Wealth Executive Vice President Malcolm Etheridge. Malcolm, good morning. Thank you for being here. Morning, Frank. How are you, man? Oh, always good to see you, Malcolm. So, you know, we usually have you on a call to talk tech. We're having you on to talk tech right now. But you've actually been looking at major retailers, including Walmart and Target. And you say their comments on things like supply chain and inflation have actually been insightful about the rest of the market, especially tech. You're saying that people shouldn't have really been surprised by Snap because what Walmart and Target had to say should have been a, a warning. Can you kind of explain that? 
Yeah, so in an environment where we're worried about whether the Fed is going to uh, raise rates to the point that we end up in a recession, uh, the focus has to be on those broad, those main street telltale signs like a Walmart and a Target, because if we're in a recession and people aren't able to go and buy the same detergent and toothpaste and those kind of things they normally would buy, regardless of what the price is, right? then we have to be concerned that that's going to trickle through the rest of the economy. So we look at uh, names like Gap and maybe TJ Maxx and things like that as far as the apparel side is concerned. Nobody's going out and buying that next T-shirt, right, when they're worried about whether they're going to still have a job or uh, whether inflation is going to cut that paycheck. And the same thing on the other side as far as toiletries and, and regular staples. And so that's why Walmart and Target numbers were quite ominous uh, for the for the market, anybody who's looking for an indicator of whether we're actually in recessionary times or not. So question, do you believe that Snap is actually an indicator? Um, Snap has really faced a lot of stiff competition from Instagram, from Twitter, a lot of people moving into that same space or those really short videos. I was just on Instagram yesterday and a lot of people are just moving away from even posting a post. They're doing like a lot of reels, which are very similar to what Snap really offers you. Um, do you think that Snap is really a, a precursor of what we're going to see from other big tech companies, social media companies going forward? Many of them have had pretty solid revenue growth. It's just not at the same level we saw during the pandemic. I don't. I actually am, am surprised that so much attention has been paid or, or the fact that we're even looking at Snapchat as a precursor for what ad revenue is going to look like across larger, more established companies like a, a Google or even a Facebook that owns Instagram, like you're talking about, where those are much better run companies, I would imagine. Uh, if you Now, if, if we looked at Facebook's numbers and said, oh, my God, you know, they're down 50 percent or so uh, for the year and they, they're they're foretelling, you know, very tough mm -hmm. uh, ad revenue numbers, then I'd pay a little bit more attention to that and care a little bit more. But Snapchat has actually been a little bit of a dying breed as, since TikTok became a thing here in the States. And so I think it's really a matter of the competition that they're up against more so than them being able to foretell us what the ad spending uh, timeline looks like. But I will right. say to that really quickly, if folks are worried about recession, if companies are worried about recession, the first place that gets cut is the ad budget. And so it would make sense that we'd see like Google down on those numbers, Facebook down on those right. numbers and so forth. Well, Malcolm, you don't just talk tech. You also manage money. So you shared some Goldman Sachs research with me about bonds and stocks. You say over a six month horizon, if you look at that horizon, only nine percent of the time that bonds and stocks move in the same direction, negative. And you pointed out the VGIT. That's an ETF for the Vanguard Intermediate Treasury Fund. Um, mm -hmm. So looking at that, what does it say to you, the fact that bonds are lower for the last six months as well as stocks? Yeah, so we're supposed to be able to see this, this seesaw effect, right? When we uh, look to the stock market, the, the S&P is down 17, 18%. That should mean that I'm able to go to the bond market in a place like the Vanguard Intermediate Term Treasury, a, as your example, uh, which tracks like the twos, the fives, and the tens, the, the treasuries. I should be able to go to a place like that as a safe haven and at least say, if I'm not going to make a ton of money here, at least I'm not going to lose anything. But since like November, December of last year, where the market started at sell-off, the Vanguard uh, Intermediate Treasury that we're talking about is down uh, across the board at that same. It started selling off about at that same time. And so it's a very scary time if I'm a, uh, an investor looking for what that safe haven trade is, mm -hmm. because even just going to cash isn't necessarily the answer when we've got 8 percent inflation eating at that uh, that dollar. And so it's just a really tough time to be able to say, like, well, if the market is doing this, then I'm supposed to do that when everything is sort of selling off. Uh, positively correlated, to use your uh, terminology there. 
All right, there we go. The hunt for yield continues. Malcolm Etheridge, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, we head out to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland for a CNBC exclusive with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. Plus, looking for signs of a bottom market rebellions. John Najarian is here looking at some very key technicals. And later, why Apple is reportedly facing some development delays when it comes to its next iPhone. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. We're turning our attention now to Davos. World business and political leaders continue to meet amid the World Economic Forum's annual meeting tackling a wide range of political, economic, and social issues. Our Sarah Eisen is there on the ground in Davos, and she's now joined by a special guest. Hey, Sarah. Hi, good morning, Frank. Good to see you. And it is my pleasure to welcome our first guest of the day here from Davos, the Commerce Secretary of the United States here representing the administration, Gina Raimondo. It's great to have you here. Nice to see you. So, so you are here in Davos delivering a number of messages, but clearly Texas is, is front and center. What, what are you telling the international community here from the administration? It is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking and it's all too familiar. So my message to every member of Congress, to every governor, to every policymaker in America, stop and ask yourself, what are you going to do about this? Now, we, it's an untenable situation that we have innocent kids being gunned down in their schools. And we have the power to change that. You know, Congress could change that. Governors, state legislatures could change that. So we cannot allow this to become, you know, regular and immune to it and hardened to it. So I'm just asking everyone to really pause today. Uh, it's not acceptable. And ask yourself what you're going to do to, to prevent this. Is there a message there for CEOs as well? I would say the same to them. I mean, this isn't good for America. It's certainly not good for business. Uh, every single American has an obligation to figure out how, what they can do to rid ourselves of the scourge of gun violence. I have not heard corporate America speak up against the gun lobby. I, I do wonder if this time will be different. I hope so. You know, I do hope so. The gun lobby, uh, that's just what it is. They're, you know... They are lobbying for the interest of gun manufacturers, not, the, not children, who deserve to be able to go to school. You're a mother. I'm a mother. Our kids deserve to be able to Didn't go to school. Yeah, yeah, go to school every day worrying about their schoolwork, not about whether they'll be safe. I, I do want to also ask you, obviously, that, that's top of mind for all of us, but, but about some of the economic initiatives you're, you're here to discuss. And it's been a big week for you traveling with the president to Asia, announcing this, this cooperation 
alignment. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what to call it with 12 other countries in Asia, ex-China. Just don't call it a trade deal, it seems, it seems to be the message. Why, why can't you include things like getting rid of barriers and tariffs yeah. if you are going to do this cooperation agreement with Asia? Yeah. So first of all, this is a huge announcement. The president made the announcement in Tokyo two days ago. This is the biggest economic um, partnership the U.S. has ever had with Asia. It's with a dozen com- countries and uh, representing more than 40 percent of the world's GDP. It's not it isn't a trade deal, though. It's a new kind of an economic deal to meet the challenges that we face today. For example, we're going to tackle supply chains. We're going to tackle uh, worker training, digital training. We're going to tackle uh, standard setting for emerging technologies to make sure that uh, emerging technologies like artificial intelligence get rolled out in a way that's consistent with their values of, of privacy. So uh, it's not limited to trade. And we, it's, it was so exciting. I was with the president in Tokyo. He was surrounded by uh, 11, 12 other world leaders. And there's a lot of enthusiasm. It's, it's America's economic, affirmative economic vision in the region, which, quite frankly, we haven't had in a long time. But why not make it a trade deal? Is it because you can't sell that politically? Uh, the President Biden and Congress has said we're not going to reenter TPP at this point in time. So, but yet we have to have an affirmative vision. So we're focused on uh, these other issues, which, you know, I think everyone can agree that technology, semiconductors, um, artificial intelligence, digital upskilling, uh, decarbonization, these are the issues that matter the most today, and those are the issues we're going to tackle in this framework. Semiconductors matter a lot right now. And you've spent a ton of time working on this issue. You were in this plant in South Korea, the Samsung plant. What, what is the plan? It feels like we're, we're moving toward sort of friend-shoring when it comes to semiconductors as it becomes a national security issue. It is a huge national security issue, and we need to move to making chips in America, not friend-shoring, in America. The president and I, Friday night, uh, visited the largest semiconductor manufacturing facility in the world. It's a Samsung facility in South Korea. And you look around, it supports over 10,000 workers. It's an amazing manufacturing operation. That should be, we should build something like that in America. And if Congress doesn't pass the CHIPS Act and pass it quickly, we're going to lose out on that. You know, Intel, Micron, Samsung, they're all, they're, they're growing. You know, they're growing. They're going to build future facilities. If Congress doesn't move quickly, they're not going to build them in America. They're going to continue to build them in Asia and in Europe, and, that, and we risk losing out on that. You mentioned national security. America buys 70% of its most sophisticated chips from Taiwan. Those are the chips in military equipment. There's like 250 chips in a Javelin launching system. You want to be buying all that from Taiwan? That's not secure. Pass the bill, Congress. Pass chips, and let's get to the business of making those chips in the United States and America to secure our future. Which, which raises the question of what would happen to the semiconductor industry and to America's security if China does invade Taiwan. It's not a pretty picture. You can Anyone, you don't have to be a national security expert to know that that is downright scary and untenable. The problem with the, with the U.S., or at least when it comes to addressing some of the issues now, is it takes a while to build these, right? It takes years mm-hmm. and, and, and could be inflationary, right? Mm-hmm. Labor is not the same cost in China as it is in the U.S. So, so 
How long is this shortage and this inflationary problem within the industry going to last? Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, I think that this there's just a lack of supply in chips. I will I push back a little though. I mean, some things are more important than price. You can't put a price on America's national security. The fact that we're buying two thirds of our chips from Taiwan, and these are the chips we need to keep Americans safe and secure. We got to make those in America, and uh, period. We can't negotiate that. Fair point. But the, everyone here in Davos is wondering, is the U.S. going into recession? We're, we're clearly dealing with inflation. It's a political problem. It's an economic problem. What, what, what are you telling the international community on a week where we're hearing, you know, profit warnings from a snap and, and real concerns from a Walmart and a Target and corporate America sounding the alarm on the economy? Yeah, I would say it's, it's fair to sound the alarm on inflation. It's a problem. Families are feeling it. You hear it from families. It, at, in the grocery store, at the pump. Uh, the Fed needs to continue to take swift action quickly to bring down inflation. I am not at this point worried about a recession. Like, our economy is strong. Our growth rate is through the roof. The labor market is strong. Companies are investing. You talk to companies here, they're making huge capital investments. Inflation is the problem, but the fundamentals of America's economy uh, are really quite strong. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. In a CNBC exclusive. Send it back to you, Frank, in the studio. All right, Sarah. Sarah Eisen in Davos. Thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a live report from Uvalde, Texas, the scene of this country's latest mass shooting, where at least 19 children and two adults have been killed. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now to a developing story this morning and yet another mass shooting, this time at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, just about 80 miles west of San Antonio that's left at least 19 children and two adults killed. The gunman is dead as well. President Biden speaking to the nation about the horrific act of violence last night. NBC's Wendy Wolfolk joins us now live from Uvalde. Wendy, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. It's been a stormy night here in South Texas, which only adds insult to injury in this heartbroken community. We can tell you that a fourth grade teacher who had an intense surgery overnight did survive. But with others hospitalized, the death toll could still rise. Another mass shooting in America. This time, shots fired and lives lost at an elementary school. 
There was a mass casualty incident at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. According to the Texas Department of Public Safety, 19 students, second through fourth graders, and two teachers were killed. Governor Greg Abbott says the gunman abandoned his vehicle, walked into the school before midday Tuesday, armed with a handgun and possibly a rifle, then opened fire. Police swarmed the campus. They locked down the school really quickly and, uh, and they started evacuating children out through the breaking windows and pulling children out through the windows and getting them to safety. But the school, not the only crime scene. In addition to that, uh, it is being reported uh, that the subject shot his grandmother right before he went into the school. The gunman identified as Salvador Ramos, an 18-year-old resident of Uvalde. Investigators say he is among the dead and acted alone. The deadliest school shooting in Texas history. My heart was broken today. Another community pleading for prayers for more lives cut tragically short. Investigators tell us that the suspect's grandmother is expected to survive. We can tell you, Frank, that Texas Rangers do confirm that the suspect indeed bought those two guns on his 18th birthday. That's the latest here live in Uvalde, Texas. I'm Wendy Wolfolk. Back to you. Well, Wendy, obviously this tragedy has shocked our entire country. Is there any word here on a possible motive? I think we're all asking why, aren't we, Frank? Um, I know investigators have been scouring his, um, his social media accounts to see if there were any hints. We can tell you at this point that he did say that he suggested some kids should, quote, watch out, and he was showing his assault weapons on those social media accounts. Hopefully, in the days and weeks to come, this heartbroken community will have even more answers. I certainly hope so. Wendy Wolfolk in Uvalde, Texas. Thank you for the very latest. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Tuesday was primary day in five states. In Georgia, incumbent Brian Kemp, supported by former VP Mike Pence, won the GOP primary for governor, trouncing former President Trump's hand-picked candidate David Perdue by more than 50 percentage points. In November, Kemp will face off against a Democratic nominee, Stacey Abrams, who won her primary running unopposed. This amounts to a rematch. Kemp previously defeated Abrams back in 2018. Also in Georgia, Brad Roffensperger, who was targeted by Mr. Trump for not supporting his push to find over 11,000 votes, handily won his primary against Trump-backed opponent and Representative Jody Heiss. But it was not all bad news for the former president. His endorsed candidate for Georgia Senate, Herschel Walker, emerged victorious with more than two-thirds of the vote. The former college and pro football star will now face Democrat Raphael Warnock in November. That's it from here, Frank. I'll send it back to you. Very much. All right, when we come back here in Worldwide Exchange, forget Walmart and Target, a retail rebound underway thanks to one department store. Your big money movers are coming up. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Tech looking to bounce back following Tuesday's social media-led sell-off. Futures are pointing to a higher open. Actually, a lower open now. 
Uh, and now we're turning some development delays for Apple. Apple reportedly facing major hurdles in getting its latest iPhones to market amid China's COVID lockdowns. Details ahead. And the fallout over formula shortages is only growing as the federal government launches a new probe into whether industry consolidation played a role in this crisis. It is now Wednesday, 25th, Wednesday, May the 25th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here's how your money and the markets look right now. Futures losing some earlier gains after a bit of a mixed session yesterday. They saw the Nasdaq close down more than 2.5%. Futures right now in the red. As we mentioned about a half an hour ago, they were slightly higher. Uh, The Dow looking like it could open up just slightly lower, about 25 points lower at the open. Now we want to turn our attention to the bond market. Sharp moves in yields in the past 24 hours. The 10-year now right at 2.74%, a really sharp move to the downside yesterday right before the opening bell. We also want to hit the energy market right now. Oil prices right now uh, just up very slightly right now and increasing expectations for demand. WTI at 111 a barrel, Brent crude at 115 a barrel. Now to some of your morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good morning again. Well, Apple's development schedule for its iPhones is reportedly falling behind due to ongoing disruptions stemming from China's COVID lockdowns. According to Nikkei, the issues are impacting at least one of the company's new smartphones set for release later this year. The report adds that Apple has told suppliers to speed up product development efforts to make up for the lost time. The tech giant has previously warned that the China lockdowns have disrupted the production of current models and could impact its revenue by up to $8 billion this quarter. The Federal Trade Commission is launching an investigation into the ongoing baby formula shortage and whether mergers within that industry contributed to the problem. The agency also saying it will take action against individuals or businesses taking advantage of the shortage by price gouging. Meanwhile, Abbott announcing the FDA is allowing the release of roughly 300,000 cans of a specialty infant formula for children in urgent medical need. And Starbucks is selling its Evolution Fresh juice brand to Bolthouse Farms. Terms of that deal, which is expected to close later this year, not being disclosed. The move comes as Starbucks looks to focus its efforts on the growth of its core coffee business and improving its stores. Frank? All right, Silvana, thank you very much. Well, today marks the 100th trading day of 2022, a year that's seen some historic turbulence as mega cap tech stocks that dominated the market for so long they've seemingly collapsed. According to Dow Jones market data, the Dow and the S&P 500, they're both on track for the worst first 100 trading days since 1970. For the Nasdaq, it's the worst ever. Analysts blaming the usual suspects, inflation and its impact on company earnings, a hawkish Fed, the war in Ukraine and COVID lockdowns in China. Let's bring in John Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com and a CNBC contributor. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. Great to be here. Thank you, sir. Always good to have you, especially on a day like this where we're seeing so much movement in the futures already. They were slightly higher before. Now they're slightly lower. So we want to talk about some of these technical indicators in the options market. A lot of people are trying to figure out where's the bottom. Are we at the bottom yet? Is there still more downside? So what's the option market telling you, at least at this moment? We know that can change any moment. Sure. And uh, uh, what we've been seeing, Frank, is that there are definitely a lot of people looking for that capitulatory bottom. Um, I would say not yet. And uh, two reasons. Um, We need to see volume, the volume of stock and options traded, as well as the volatility, both in very elevated stature. 
We saw volume on Friday um, just surge to 52 million options and nearly a record in stocks, too. That's great. Um, however, volatility did not move up that dramatically. And we had that big turnaround, of course, Frank, that you've talked about on Friday because we were down hard. And then in the final half hour or hour of trade, we had that zoom to the upside. Um, take a look at the graph on Monday, which was a stark comparison, uh, because instead of being a 24% jump to the upside, we had a 28% lower volume trade, which to us says that you know nobody was buying into that, that there might have been some short covering, but nobody was really believing in that rally. So that's why we always say you need both volume and volatility to be moving to the upside at around the same time. Haven't seen that yet, Frank, so we really haven't felt like people have thrown in the towel. And that's not just retail, that's pros right. and retail need to throw in the towel to see that. Real quick, I want to get to your stock picks, but you actually called that rally we saw on Friday fake. Can you kind of explain that? Why was it fake? Well, nobody bought into it. I mean, the volume, volume tells, you know, it's kind of like a truth detector, Frank. So if we're not seeing volumes um, skyrocket, the last hour of volume was not there at all. Um, so, you know, you trade for six and a half hours um, in a trading day not including the after hours and so forth. We just did not have that endorsement. That's why I say fake. So more or less, people just stepped back, let the market go up, and then reversed it right away on Monday, of course, because there wasn't anything behind it. Now, we've got TLT, which is a bet that interest rates go lower, which you've been talking about all morning, down at 274, I think you said. And that's uh, that. ETF goes higher as interest rates go lower. We've got bets, big bets, that that continues in that direction. Maybe we hit 2.5% in the next several weeks. Um, that would be great for tech stocks, Frank, uh, because they're so sensitive to interest rates and so forth. Um, but then the reason that interest rates are moving down like this is that they're thinking the Fed really won't be able to make the moves that the Fed says it wants to make. All right. One of the other picks. Speaking of inflation, you're looking at Baker Hughes up about six percent for the week. The S&P only up about one percent. Obviously, gas prices are rising. Um, is this simply a play on the fact that gas is becoming more expensive? Oil is becoming more expensive? Yeah, we've set a record virtually every day since March, Frank. Now, that's a crazy number um, of days. It's not 100 trading days in the year like you just mentioned. But nonetheless, when we're seeing um, the price at the pump, regular, unleaded, um, all the way out to the diesel uh, fuels going higher every single day. You can bet, and people are betting, that uh, the likes of Baker Hughes, Schlumberger, Halliburton are going to have huge demand for exactly their oil service that they provide. And that's why we see that big upside call buying in Baker. All right, I'm going to use your word, capitulatory. I like that word. I think that's me right now because I said right. I wasn't going to drive as much, but I went and filled up my tank yesterday more than twice what it was just a few months ago. John and Jaron, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your big money movers this morning, including shares of Nordstrom and some positive signals for the retail sector. But first, as we had to break, some of your other top stories. Shares of Allbirds flying higher after announcing it will start selling its shoes in some Nordstrom locations starting next month. The move coming as the sneaker brand works to lock in deals with other retailers to broaden its reach. McDonald's reportedly said to prevail in its proxy fight with Carl Icahn over the treatment of pigs 
used for its pork-based products. According to the Wall Street Journal, early vote counts show the fast food giant far ahead of Icon, who had nominated two directors to take seats on the company's board. And Elon Musk's stake in Twitter now underwater. Twitter shares falling below $36, below where Musk bought it, wiping out more than $1.1 billion in gains worldwide exchange. Back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers for stock stories of the morning. We begin with Nordstrom. Sales jumping 19% in the first quarter as the upscale department store, it really benefited from consumers paying full price for designer clothes as they go back to the office and in-person events. Nordstrom Rack, the company's discount chain, also seeing some stronger sales thanks to higher store traffic and a larger assortment of merchandise. Nordstrom raising its profit and revenue guidance for the year shares up more than 9% this morning. Nordstrom also lifting shares of other retailers like Macy's and The Gap. Stock two, Urban Outfitters, the clothing retailer's first quarter earnings actually misforecast the company reporting record sales, but they also came up shy of analyst estimates. Higher costs for materials and shipping really weighing on profits. Inventory, inventory levels actually grew. Shares, they initially fell, but now they've recovered up 3% this morning. Stock number three, Intuit, maker of tax and accounting software, reported better than expected third quarter results and hiked its guidance for the year. The strong numbers coming despite a range of economic pressures that are really weighing on the company's millions of small business customers. And number four, Toll Brothers, reporting better than expected profit and revenue for its Q2 results. The company maintaining its full-year guidance of 20% growth. The company's CEO says while demand is still solid, it has moderated in the past several months as buyers they begin to adapt to higher mortgage rates and some other macroeconomic conditions. Shares of Toll Brothers up more than 3%. All right, back to the broader markets and some new insights from Investopedia on the mood among investors amid the continued volatility that's been just rattling the markets and the traditional fear factors during deep drops. Well, some say they're actually remaining pretty quiet among them. And joining us with much more, Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of Investopedia. Caleb, thank you for being here. Good to be with you. And yeah, investors are feeling the fear, but maybe they're kind of frozen in place, Frank. They're really not doing much about it. The fear factors are there. You can hear them. But as John Najarian just said, you don't see a lot of volume. You don't see a lot of craziness in the options market just yet. Yeah, Caleb. I mean, a really interesting point. Um, can you put some numbers to it? I know you guys have your own anxiety index. Where is it at right now? And what does that say about our anxiety or at least the market's anxiety, investors' anxiety right now and where it could be moving to? Yeah, great question. And we track uh, our readers' traffic to fear-based terms. So recession, contraction, bear market, et cetera. And that was screaming like a two-year-old that dropped its ice cream a couple of years ago, obviously, in the depth <laughs> of the pandemic in March. But it has been really kind of chill lately, about 110. Our readers are really concerned about macroeconomic events right now. They're worried about a recession. They're worried about their own personal finances. But as far as the market's concerned, not terribly concerned. It's elevated, but nowhere near where it was a year and a half ago or two years ago. And when we look at the VIX, also high, but not that high, not above 40, not above 35 all year. We saw the VIX much higher a year and a half ago back in July of 2021 and, of course, in March and April of 2020. And the put-to-call ratio, too, when you look at that, there's not a ton of options betting against the market continuing to go down, even though the market continues to go down. And John just mentioned it, too. You don't see a lot of volume there. So you're not seeing the fear factors screaming their red sirens right now. That said, investors are watching this market go down day after day. All right. So you're saying that there's not that much anxiety. But when we look at your top search terms on Investopedia, I'm reading from your list. Bear market, capitulation, that seems to be the word of the morning. Capitulatory, never heard that one. It's probably a drinking game somewhere that John's playing. Recession, margin call, maybe inspired by Elon Musk. 
and how to short Bitcoin. So what is this list of search terms? What does it tell you about where people are going? The anxiety index isn't showing it right this minute. But when you see these are the top terms, what does that say about your readers and the market in general? It tells us that they're worried about the long-term effects of a potential recession or a downturn. Obviously, capitulation, capitulatory, we're adding to the Investopedia Dictionary and giving the credit to John Najera in there. But people are worried because they're looking things up. Traditionally, folks look things up and then they go take action. So the anxiety index comes, sometimes moves before the VIX. So they're concerned. They're doing their research, but they're not doing a lot of action. Yeah, people are looking how to short Bitcoin. That may be because Bitcoin continues to fall. We know we have a lot of readers who are invested in Bitcoin. I think that's part of what they're doing is seeing if they can take advantage of the further declines. At the same time, we know that Bitcoin is moved by big whales, not minnows right now. So they're watching Bitcoin. They're also looking at uh, loans for bad credit, which is never a good sign. So there's this concern about the macroeconomic environment and what it's going to do to people's personal finances. Concerned about the markets, just not as concerned as they've been in other downturns this steep. So, you know, Worldwide Exchange, it's also an exchange of ideas. Uh, I mean, some people are aware of shorting Bitcoin. It's a pretty new idea to me. I haven't really heard much about it. We don't talk about it much here on the network. When retail investors are shorting Bitcoin, what does that say about the crypto market to you? It tells us that they don't have a lot of conviction in it. We know that there's holders out there that are going to hold on to it no matter what. And we know that big money moves Bitcoin around, the big hedge funds and the big investors who have been in it a long time. Retail investors on the margin have been playing with it, maybe trying to short it and short some of the other coins. But it doesn't look like they're moving the market as much as the big money is moving the market. And I think a lot of investors and a lot of our readers are invested in the market, whether actively or passively. They're just kind of watching this whole thing unwind and wondering if they should do something, not necessarily take taking action, just looking it up and trying to get smarter about it in case they want to do take action one day. All right. Sounds like some capitulation by retail crypto investors. Word of the morning. Caleb Silver from Investopedia. We appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. On deck, stocks looking to bounce back following the social media sell-off. Our Jenny Harrington lays out why rich valuations in some of these names are finally being reconciled. And during May, we're celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage. As we head to break, here's our colleague and Fast Money host, Melissa Lee. I'm a better journalist because I'm Chinese-American. I think back to my grandparents. Uh, My grandfather and my grandmother came to this country with not a penny to their name. They didn't even speak English. And they came here to give their children a shot at the American dream. So I bring that perspective and I think about that every day when I'm on the job. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A very busy day ahead for investors at 8.30 Eastern. We get the latest read on durable goods, a number of high-profile earnings reports out before and after the bell. We're talking about Dick's Sporting's Good, uh, Box, NVIDIA, Snowflake, and Spunk. Meanwhile, Twitter, Meta, and Amazon all holding their annual shareholder meetings this afternoon as those stocks continue to get hammered as part of a broader tech sell-off. And then at 2 p.m. Eastern, we get minutes from the Federal Reserve's policy meeting earlier this month. CNBC will, of course, bring you those minutes as soon as they are released. All right, turning our attention back to the markets, looking to regain some momentum following Tuesday's social media-led tech sell-off on the back of Snap's earnings warning. Let's bring in Jenny Harrington, CEO of Gilman Hill Asset Management and a CNBC contributor. Jenny, good morning. Always great to have you here. Thanks. Good morning, Frank. So a lot of people looking at Snap, a lot of people caught off guard by Snap and asking the question, what's going on with these social media stocks? What's going on with big tech? What do you think is going wrong with it or what's wrong with it? Or is there anything wrong at all? 
Well, I think there's always the disconnect between what's wrong with the company and what's wrong with the stock. And if we look at Snap, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, their revenue growth numbers are actually really good still. So you look at Snap and what did they do? They guided to the low end of their guidance, which had been 20 to 25% revenue growth. So now they're going to grow their revenues at 20%. That's fantastic in this kind of market. But the problem is the valuations on almost all of these, I will say Meta was not out of line, but the valuations on almost all of these were wildly, wildly disconnected with reality. And this is part of a much bigger story where, where valuations over the past five years have gotten nuts. People letting things trade at 50 times sales, at assumptions of the, the market share would be 100% of TAM. Um, it's just crazy. So what we're seeing right now is a reconciliation of valuations. And I think that's really smart and healthy. And it's a good, for me, it's a very, very good sign. I love seeing it happen in the market. So I'm actually enthusiastic watching this, even though there's a lot of pain out there. But when I hear what's wrong with these companies, there's not that much wrong with these companies. They're doing well, and yeah, they're trading market share around, but they still have huge revenue growth. They still have active users. Sure, there's going to be fighting between TikTok and Insta and Snap. I don't know. They're all still growing, and people are using them well. It, sorry, one thing, it reminds me of that Charlie Munger quote that I always botch, but it says some, he says something like, any, any great company can be turned into a terrible investment just by running the share price up too much, and I think that's what's happening. All right, so it sounds like you're saying that or value... Happened. Oh, it sounds like you're saying that valuation is the real problem with these stocks, not their business model, not their revenue growth. A lot of them have set standards and expectations from the pandemic that are probably unsustainable. Another thing a lot of people are trying to do is figure out where the bottom is. Do you believe there's one bottom or do different stocks have a different quote unquote bottom? Oh, I love that question. Yeah, different stocks have different bottoms. And I think there's a lot of danger to the individual investor, as, frankly, as well as the institutional investor, to wait for the bottom and wait for the bottom and keep all this cash on the sideline. Because what we know is that not everything bottoms at the same time. And you need to be more nimble than that than just to sit there and say, hey, I'll buy the market when it's down another 5 or 10% from here. Because it may not be, or it may be down more than that, but there's individual companies that you can buy along the way that are bottoming. And you may nail that and you may not. For example, two weeks ago to our dividend income strategy, I added American Eagle and I added Easterly Properties. Easterly Properties owns government um, properties like FBI buildings and DEA buildings. American Eagle, we all know, is a retailer. I was wrong on the timing of American Eagle. I was right on the timing of Easterly. I, w I would rather not miss them both. Even though I was wrong on the timing of American Eagle, I still bought it 40% off its high, trading at a six times multiple with a 5% yield. So I can suck it up and take a little downside from there. There you go. Uh, so before we let you go here, I'm um, looking at futures. They were slightly positive earlier today. Mm -hmm. Now they've turned to the downside as we approach, you know, Squawk Box coming up in just a few minutes. As people are sitting here looking at how to set up their day and their investing day, what would you like them to keep in mind? I think we're in a bottoming process. And so... It kind of goes back to the previous conversation that we just had where look for individual companies and look for individual companies that are bottoming and buy those along the way. Don't wait for the whole thing. Don't be freaked out by, you know, a huge rally on one day, a huge sell off on the other. This is a natural process of reconciling valuations that had got to too stretched. This is a natural process of responding to tightening and higher interest rates and the risk return equation out there recalibrating itself. So please don't be terribly scared. This is not dark, scary, horrible like a pandemic where the entire global economy shuts down. This is a mathematical right sizing of excesses that developed over the past five years. Jenny Harrington, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for the insight this morning, as always.
All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.